Uh, well, good morning, River City. Uh, thanks for joining us on this live stream. And if you're watching later, we pray it's encouragement to you as well. Uh, we're going to continue in Luke's gospel this morning. Uh, as Devin said earlier during the announcements, I'm going to preach today through verse 35. And the next week, Pastor Devin uh, will be preaching from th- verse 36 to the end of chapter 7 uh, at verse 50. And then, as he mentioned, we'll hit pause in Luke's gospel uh, starting on June 7th. And we'll start this summer kind of working through a psalm a week each Sunday morning, starting with Psalm one. And as we've done in past summers, we'll also be including a variety of voices uh, preaching on uh, Sunday, which will be a fun experience, kind of this hybrid uh, of preaching to a camera and just a few people in the room to uh, slowly integrating in more people. So it'll be quite the experience. Uh, we're getting used to it a little bit. I don't know if I can speak for uh, Charlie and Devin, if maybe getting used to it's not the right phrase, um, but we're getting used to it, sort of, uh, but it'll be, it'll be fun as we kind of integrate that in this summer. But we're really excited uh, to, to re-engage, um, not just in the Psalms, which are just rich uh, with goodness uh, for us and for our hearts, um, but also engaging some other voices this summer. And so we're putting together and kind of finalizing a, the preaching a cohort for the summer of the, uh, the guys who'll be working through um, preparing and preaching preparation. And so we're really excited about that. So as you're turning to chapter 7, verse 18, where we'll start today, um, let me set up our time. Starting in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7, we are introduced to some disciples of John the Baptist. Now, last we saw John in Luke, um, he had just baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And if you remember, people from all over, from all over the region, came to hear John preach and be baptized by him. They came to hear this prophet who wore animal skins uh, for clothing and preached with fire. And he called sinners to repentance and called out the religious hypocrites of his day. Listen to some of John's words from uh, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7. This is uh, John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, this is again, John the Baptist, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. How's that for preaching? Good stuff, right? And from there, Luke stops following the life of John the Baptist and just follows Jesus into the wilderness and marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And until now, we hear nothing else about what's happening, at least from Luke, in the life of John. But our passage opens with John the Baptist asking questions about Jesus. And it highlights a reality of our own condition. The reality that we are all prone to doubt. We wonder sometimes if what we're waiting for is actually going to happen. For instance, will our lives ever feel like they are back to normal? Sometimes it looks like what we are hoping for might not ever come to pass. And in our questioning about our own lives and our own situations and circumstances, we drift into questioning the one who is supposed to rule 
over our lives. But Jesus here is reminding his listeners that he is indeed the one that they're waiting for, that he is indeed worthy of of having faith in, and that faith in Jesus, trusting in him as he's calling people to do, faith in Jesus is, is a sustaining power in the heart of the one who doubts when answers are unclear or unknown. And Jesus himself keeps those who are near to him from falling away into unbelief. So that's where we'll start today. Let's read together Luke's uh, gospel, chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The disciples of John reported all these things, all the things that Jesus had said and done. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than Then he, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Well, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children." This is God's holy word that cannot fail to accomplish what it was sent to do. Amen. Now, John's disciples aren't the only ones who ask questions in this text. In fact, Jesus has a few questions of his own. So that's how we're going to break this text apart into three questions. Question one, John, through his disciples, is asking, Are you the one who's to come or or should we look for another? Question two, Jesus asks the crowd about John the Baptist, and he asks it three times, 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? And then the third question is Jesus asking rhetorically, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? So question one, are you the one who's to come? Question two, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And then question three, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? These three questions illustrate the reality that, that doubt is true, it, it exists, and illustrate the sustaining power of faith in Jesus that keeps those who believe in him from unbelief. Let's look at the first question, question number one. Are you the one who is to come? Now remember, since chapter three, Luke hasn't mentioned John at all. So if all we had was Luke's gospel, we don't actually know what's going on in the life of John the Baptist. Thanks be to God, he's given us a fullness in the gospel accounts that we we do. The other gospel writers fill us in. And since the baptism of Jesus, John has been arrested. And the reason John has been arrested is that he was an outspoken critic of Herod Antipas, who was the leader of the Jews under Rome at this time, because Herod was a wicked wicked man. And John straight up called him out for marrying his brother's wife. And that got John thrown in prison and ultimately he was beheaded. But before John is killed, while he's sitting in prison, word about what Jesus is saying and doing comes to him. So he's not isolated. He's got some action, uh, interaction with people in his life. And he, he gathers a few of his disciples and says, go, go ask Jesus a question for me. Because apparently what he's heard from Jesus and what he's been uh, hearing about what he's been doing is causing some questions for John. He's, he's wondering about his preaching and his ministry. Now, if you read back and you remember what we talked about when we talked about John, when Luke unpacked this prophecy of John and what his role was in preparing for the coming Messiah, John spent his entire life in preparation for the Savior. He would have been well-versed in the writings of the Old Testament prophets, and specifically in the, the prophet of Isaiah. He understood his job was to proclaim the coming of the Messiah and serve as a forerunner, a precursor to prepare the way for the Savior. John was almost the the last in a long line of prophets, um, the the only New Testament example of an Old Testament-like prophet right before Jesus enters. Listen to John's words um, from Luke 3. Some people thought John might even be the Messiah based on his, his preaching and his ministry. And John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Did you catch that? John was expecting the coming Messiah to baptize with fire, with a winnowing fork in his hand. That just sounds ominous, doesn't it? We, we mentioned this a number of weeks ago when we read this passage. A winnowing fork is like a, a big kind of flat rake that, that lifts the grain up and the, the, the actual grain falls to the ground because it's heavy and then the chaff and the husk uh, breaks apart from it and kind of floats off. 
So the grain can be sifted and gathered in and kept, and then the chaff can be swept, swept up and burned. And so John is, is preparing for this Messiah who will come and will separate out the righteous from the unrighteous. The good grain he'll gather to himself, and the chaff, the waste, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, John with the preaching, right? John is expecting this promised Messiah to come and clean house. But what does he hear and see with Jesus? Now, for sure, Jesus has some harsh words for the religious hypocrites. But so far, the message of Jesus is one of mercy. The ministry of Jesus is one of healing. And even as we read last week, healing the servant of a pagan Roman soldier. So John, unsure of how much time he might have left, sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's to come or should we look for someone else? Now, I don't know if that troubles you or encourages you. John's question. But for me, it kind of does both. It troubles me because John is the man. John is bold. He knows the law. He knows the prophets. He's dedicated his life, his entire life, to studying them. And according to John chapter 1, he's the one who calls out when he sees Jesus coming towards him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If anybody was sure, was confident that Jesus was the one that they were waiting for, it should be John. And here, in a moment of crisis, John seems to doubt. And I think at least in part, John is waiting for this unquenchable fire. He's waiting for the axe to fell the tree that's not bearing fruit, and it's just not happening, at least not yet. And that gives John pause. And so it, 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 it troubles me a little because if John could doubt, what hope do I have? So that's why it troubles me a bit. On the other hand, if someone as righteous and in line, like lockstep with the will of God as John seems to be, that tells me that, that doubt's not off limits. It's not automatically disqualifying. That, that perhaps God's not going to cut me out at the first sign of being unsure or the first wondering, God, what are you up to in this? And that gives me hope. So I don't know where you find yourself on that spectrum. Maybe like me in both. Which way do you lean? Does, Don, does John's questioning and doubt trouble you or encourage you? And Jesus, being the master teacher, doesn't even directly answer the question. Luke tells us that in that hour, he healed many people. He performed many miracles over the next little period of time, presumably while they're standing there watching. And then Jesus responds to their question like this. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus doesn't say, Yes or no. He just says, go and tell John what you've heard. Jesus is performing the works of the Messiah, the promised Messiah, as outlined in passages like Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 61 that Jesus read earlier when he started his public ministry. The Lord has anointed me to what? 
preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Are you seeing these things? Jesus asks them. Go and tell John that. And then he says, and also tell John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Offended. Is John offended? Perhaps what Jesus is pressing into is that the root of doubt at times, maybe often, is exposing that the doubter is actually offended by God. Life is not going as planned. Expectations of what life should be remain unmet. And we wonder what God is up to. Does he really have a purpose in all this? Blessed is the one, Jesus says, who is not offended by me. Now the question for us is, we often feel like John, don't we? I mean, if we're honest, we, we wonder why things are happening the way that they are. We wonder why God's not doing something about the condition we find ourselves in or why our situation is the way that it is. And if we sit in that long enough, we start to wonder if God even can do something about it. And if we sit in that long enough, wondering not just what he's up to, but can he even do anything, then we start to question his motives. And we may even become angry or frustrated that God would not act in the way we want or we expect. And we become offended by his methods. How dare he not answer our request? How dare he show mercy to that person They don't deserve mercy. You see, I don't think John's wrong in his hope. Jesus will bring about perfect justice and judgment. And in fact, the Apostle John tells us in the book of Revelation that when Christ does return again, he does come with fire in his eyes and a sword from his mouth in order to strike down his enemies. That's a vibrant picture of God's justice. But first, mercy. The way to the kingdom flows through the mercy of God on display in Christ. The call to repentance is a kindness of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Blessed are you who is not offended by me. Like John, we get a little impatient, maybe a little trigger happy. Oh, oh Lord, answer this prayer. Oh, Lord, bring your justice. Oh, Lord, wipe out the wicked. And those aren't bad prayers. But they are if we neglect the mercy of God for sinners like us, calling us and them to repentance. Jesus' answer to John's question and John's doubt is a reminder, an explanation, a full picture of the ministry of Jesus. Perhaps John had gotten so focused on justice that he had forgotten about mercy. This is why Jesus came, to preach the good news, to make sinners into saints through repentance and faith, and to usher in the kingdom that will make all the wrongs right, that will be established in perfect justice forever. Well, John's disciples head back to pass this message along to John. And Jesus turns to the crowd who had apparently been listening. 
and were likely very curious. Hey, weren't those John's disciples? I, I thought these guys were, were on the same team. They were curious about all these questions. And so then Jesus asked the second question we'll look at. He turns and asks the crowd, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? As he turns his attention to those listening, he asks them, when you all went out to see John, what were you looking for? A reed blown by the wind? Someone who was wishy-washy or swayed by public opinion? Well, the unspoken answer is, of course, of course not. They, they came out to hear John because they heard he preached with fire and with passion and with authority. So you didn't come out to see some guy blown in the wind? Did, did you come out to see a man in soft clothing, Jesus asks? Uh, again, someone wearing uh, fine silk or linen, something fit for a royal court? The answer is, of, of course not. We came to see a wild-looking man who was scruffy. He, he ate locusts and, and wild honey. He lived as an ascetic, someone who, who, who minimized all the distractions of his life to have sole focus on his mission. Of course we didn't come out to see a, a man in soft, fine clothing. Or, Jesus asks, did you come out to see a prophet? Yes, of course, John was the, the final, the last in a long line of prophets who cried out, prepare the way for the Lord. And then Jesus exalts John with his words. Jesus says, among those born of women, there is none greater than John. He honors him, which is another reason it makes John's doubt so sobering. Even John is wavering a bit. And if John is wavering, all these people who listen to John might waver as well. And then Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So Jesus turns the, the crowd around and says, yes, John is a great prophet and he's speaking about me. He's prepared the way for me. When Jesus answers John's disciples, he's reminding them of the full purpose, the full range of his mission. And when Jesus turns to the crowd, he's clarifying his identity as the promised Messiah. I am the one that John was speaking of. That Jesus truly is the one the prophets foretold. When it comes to doubt, the issue is that we don't shake. We don't doubt. The issue is not to, to, to put away any idea of doubt. But if our faith is in the true God, if it's anchored to the truth, in this case of Jesus, it's not that we can't doubt. It's that when we do doubt, we don't crumble and fall because we are clear on who Jesus is and we're clear on why he's come. Now, when everyone heard what Jesus said, there were two very different reactions. On one side, you had the tax collectors and others who had heard John's message, who felt the conviction of sin in their lives, and they were baptized by John. Yes, John, you're right. 
You're speaking to me. I am, I am broken and sinful and wicked and I need God's mercy. And then they were baptized by John in, in the River Jordan for the forgiveness of their sins and for repentance. They were thrilled to hear what Jesus said. Their faith in what John was telling them was validated by Jesus. Yes, God in his mercy has called us to repentance. Yes, we've been waiting for you. But on the other side, there were Pharisees and lawyers. They rejected Jesus' words just like they rejected John's. And the problem was that these Pharisees, these elite legal minds, knew their law and prophets so well that they were able to nitpick all the details of God's law and find loopholes, comparing themselves to others. And then they determined, we're good. We don't actually need to repent. We're just fine how we are. So they were offended by John and offended by Jesus. Which leads us to our third and our final question. To what then, Jesus says, shall I compare the people of this generation? It's almost like a question under his breath. Do you ever do that? Did your parents do that with you after dealing with some of your foolishness as a kid? The, the under-the-breath phrase from your mom or your dad, what am I going to do with you? Nobody? I'm just looking at the people in the room too. Maybe it's just my foolishness. Maybe my mom's watching. She absolutely said things like that under her breath, like what am I going to do with you? Right? Jesus then compares them to children in the street playing games. But they're not actually playing because they can't agree on anything. We play a happy song, you don't dance. We play a sad song, you don't cry. Jesus basically calls them out for being petulant children. He's exposing the wickedness of their unbelief. Here's what I mean. John lived as an ascetic, someone who, who, who was super minimalistic, denied himself many creature comforts, taking a, a, a Nazarite vow where he, he would uh, live isolated and not drink strong uh, uh, drink, didn't eat bread, lived out in the wilderness, studied the prophets and preached and baptized. And they looked at him, they looked at John, and they thought, that guy's crazy. He's crazy. He, he might be possessed. I'm not going to listen to him. We're looking for someone a little more normal, a little less judgy. We don't like John. But then Jesus comes and sits down and eats and drinks like a normal person. He extends love and hospitality to the outcasts and the broken. And they look at Jesus and they go, I don't know, that guy, that guy might be a drunk. And, and did you see he's, he's actually a friend, a friend of sinners. We're looking for someone a little more, well, like us, a little less merciful and more judgy. I mean, not, of course, judgy to us, judgy to other people. And Jesus, in a sense, looks at them and says, there's no pleasing you. You're offended that John came and preached of uh, judgment and justice, and you're offended that I come and speak of mercy. You don't actually want to believe. 
This is unbelief. This is what Jesus is cautioning when he looks around at the crowd and they reject John and they reject Jesus. They don't actually want to hear what they have to say. And this is the caution for us. Is it possible that there's actually no pleasing us either? That maybe we cringe when we hear the words of Jesus to repent. When we hear from Jesus' own mouth the call to leave behind our lives of sin and follow him, to pursue righteousness. We, we, we bristle against that. It seems unloving. But we also cringe when we see God's grace extended to those who we don't feel deserve it. Maybe they've hurt us. Maybe they're undesirable to us in some way. Woe to you, caution to you who are offended by the message and mission of Jesus. The message of grace through faith where the mercy of God through the Holy Spirit woos us to repentance and by that same Spirit we can walk in obedience or to say it like Jesus did, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And then Jesus closes his teaching with this, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Those who are truly wise, those who have genuine faith, they validate the message of the gospel in their lives. No matter what the world says or what is currently sociologically or politically popular, no matter if it defies man's wisdom or common sense, the message of the coming kingdom, the message of mercy through Jesus Christ is proved right. It is proved good in the lives of those who belong to Jesus. So the wisdom of God is justified. It is proved when God's word is preached and by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, blind eyes are opened and dead hearts are made alive. The wisdom of God is proved. It's justified when mercy is shown to the undeserving, when hospitality is extended through your hands and my hands, to those who are different than us, who may be other to us, but who are precious to our Father in heaven. The wisdom of God is justified. It is proved when we don't understand what is happening or why something is happening or why something is not happening. And yet our hearts can trust that God is in control, that all his plans for us are good and praise can still come from our mouths. That's when the wisdom of God is justified. It's proved. And it's hard. We don't just drift into that. We, we lean into that. We listen to the words of Jesus when he says to John's disciples, what do you hear and see? Go tell John what you've heard and seen. And when we lean into that and say, God, you've shown your faithfulness to me over and over again in big and small ways. And so when the doubt creeps in, we go, and yet he's been faithful. And yet his word says this. And yet look at the kindness of God through God's people. And a hundred other things that remind us of God at work in our lives. Because Jesus came not to placate our picky wants, but to save us and to make for himself a people 
And this is when the wisdom of God is proved by all her children. It's shown. It's on display when those of us who hear the message of the kingdom and we respond, yes, yes, I need that. Yes, I want to extend that. I want to live with that as the banner over my, my life. It isn't that we don't wrestle with doubt. It's that when we do doubt, we don't fall into, un- into unbelief because we find Jesus trustworthy. We find him faithful and that we are sustained even when we don't understand and when the answers aren't clear. My prayer for me and for you is that God, the Holy Spirit, would strengthen our hearts and prove to us in our doubts that God is at work in all things to accomplish His purposes on the earth for His glory and for our joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your patience and kindness that you have lavished upon us so generously. Father, we thank you that you reach to us where we are and draw us from the, as the psalmist says, the miry pit, from the place of despair, from the edge of destruction, and you hold us and keep us secure in you. Father, for many of us who are wrestling with what is happening and why things are happening and we're frustrated and we're confused, we wonder what your purposes are in all of this, would you sustain the hearts of your children Would you bring to our remembrance the exceeding mercy and grace you've shown us in so many ways, starting with opening our blind eyes to see salvation and faith in you and building upon that all the other blessings and graces you've given us. Help us not to minimize them, but to to stack them up in a pile of remembrance to say, look how faithful the Lord has been. Father, would you keep us from descending into places of despair and unbelief? Would you preserve your children? You're not required to prove yourself to us, and yet you delight to show yourself to be faithful. So would you help us? Would you strengthen your people even this morning? We thank you for your sustaining grace. Would you cause our hearts to swell with gratitude and our mouths with praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.